Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Scott Edgar. Scott is an autistic voice actor in Orlando, Florida, who has recently been featured in London's Autism's Got Talent. He has also participated in the Special Olympics, competing in basketball, bowling, and powerlifting. In today's conversation, we discuss how Scott found out about his diagnosis, how autism affects his life, transitioning into independent living, voice acting and where he gets his inspiration, differences of autism awareness between England and the U.S., and participating in the Special Olympics. In this episode, discover what's possible when winning comes second. To learn more about Scott, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at autismpodcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Scott Edgar. Hi, Scott. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? My name is Scott Edgar. I'm on the autism spectrum and I'm from Orlando, Florida. And it's okay if I say hi to some people? Sure. Just want to say hi to everyone, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family, everyone from Autism's Got Talent in UK. Hi to my Special Olympic friends in Florida. I want to say hi to my church groups here in Orlando. And finally, I just want to say hi to the bros. You guys know who you are. All right. You got a nice community there with you. Thanks. So, Scott, let's talk about your autism. You were diagnosed at two years old, but you didn't learn about your autism until much later, right? That's correct. It was my senior year of high school. I was walking to weightlifting and I was passing a teacher lounge, teacher's lounge, I mean, all along the way. And I saw my mom, my dad, my special ed teacher, and this lady who was in our classroom. So I knocked on the door and just asked what's going on. And they asked me to come in. And the lady who was doing the evaluating wanted me to have a seat. And they told me, we have some great news for you. And I said, I'm graduating early. (laughs) That wasn't the case. They told me that you have autism. And of course, I'm like, what's autism? So they pretty much had just, you know, break it down that it's a learning disability that affects communication and if things just get you know overwhelming you can always you know come to a special ed room or walk out of class and ask my parents if they knew about this and they said they kind of did I just didn't know how to take it it felt like as if someone told me you're adopted or not your real parents so I just spoke to all my teachers that day and just said hey Due to a family, I wouldn't say crisis or anything, but 
just to something that just came out of the blue. I just need to be excused for the rest of the day, and I just need to be excused from any assignments for the rest of the day and tonight for homework because I just don't know how to take it. Before that moment, did you feel that something was different about you? I would say so because just really not fitting into anywhere and anywhere I lived. I thought it was just because, you know, I'm a new guy and everything. So it's just hard just to meet people when you're new because everybody already has their clicks. Mm -hmm. So how did you come to accept your autism after that? I guess I just learned to say I have autism and they gave me a card to explain my autism and even explained like how to present to someone. Like, for example, if law enforcement pulls you over or something like that, of course, you know, they kind of didn't understand it. And at the time, no one really didn't know what autism really was. So it was just almost kind of like, you know, he's different, but he's not an outcast. So how do we treat him? Hmm. Did you have any friends? Not really growing up, just because I went to a different middle, different high school every year. And the longest I was at school was from kindergarten to second grade, mainly due to my dad's job and everything. So I never really got that, you know, social interaction. Luckily, I got to do things like go to senior prom and everything. And college just, you know, wasn't like, you know, the easiest because my dad lost his job at that time, and any organization I was on campus with didn't want me around because my dad lost his job, and any organization I was part of when I was in high school said the same thing. So it was just a rough time for my family and I. Mm-hmm. So how does autism affect your life now? I would say it's gotten a little bit better. Some people have learned to accept it. Some haven't. You mean people around you? People around me and just of all the states I've lived in, because I've lived in at least eight different states. A lot of people I meet in Florida who are autistic are afraid, you know, to show it or tell people. You think there's more of a stigma there than in other places? Maybe because Florida, they have a lot of autism programs, but a lot of people who tell me they're autistic, but they don't want me to tell anyone. I don't know. It's just, I'm trying to tell them, like, you know, it's not to be ashamed of or anything, but yet they seem to be more accepted by neurotypicals. Okay. Do you disclose your autism with people that you meet? I would say probably at first and everything, because as when I try, you know, have like a healthy, balanced relationship with them at first and just get the ball rolling and everything and just seeing where it goes. But when I feel like, you know, it could be a good relationship, you know, love or friendship, I can just tell them. And that's kind of the deal breaker right there. A deal breaker, you mean if they accept it or not? Exactly. Could you share a story of maybe one time that you had to deal with someone not accepting it? Well, I will just let you know, this is kind of a dark story, if that's okay for this type of interview. Yeah. If you're comfortable sharing it. Of course. Of course. It was like eight years ago. So I've kind of moved on from it. I was living where my dad lives at the time. It was a small town where pretty much a lot of people like 
wouldn't even know like what autism was. Like a lot of people don't even have like high school education. And one time I was driving home from a movie with my ex-fiance in the car and I stopped this stop sign and a cop pulled me over and he said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, uh, no officer. And he said, I pulled you over because you failed to stop at a stop sign. And I said, sir, I stopped at the stop sign. And before we go any further in questions, just let you know I have autism. And next thing you know, he tells me to step out of the car and he just threw me down to the ground. I'm just looking at my ex-fiance, giving her that look saying, I hope you're seeing this. So when it came to, you know, getting a court ticket and everything for the traffic violation, I pleaded not guilty. And that cop came in and we tried fighting it. And my ex-fiance, even I took the, took the stand. And of course, you know, it was already decided before it even happened. And my dad told the cop that it went for that badge and belt you have. I know I could take you. Oh, wow. I was always just made fun of where my dad lives because I had autism. It was just like a real small town community of about 500 where, which is sad to say, they led the the county and the town led the state in teenage pregnancy and unemployment. So it was just hard for someone like me who was considered different by most people. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, do you have a story of maybe the opposite happening? Like, you being afraid to disclose to someone, maybe someone who you're getting to know. And when you do, they surprise you. Sad to say, I really have never had that story. Okay. All right, Scott. Well, you live on your own, right? I do. I have a roommate, though. Okay. But you live independently from your family. I do. What was that transition like for you? It's kind of funny you say that because ever since I was, let's say, around eight or nine, I wanted to be independent. A perfect example was when my dad was coaching at basketball camps. I wanted to be one of the overnight campers. I wanted to stay in the dorms like everyone else. But instead, I would just be one of the day campers and, you know, just didn't have the the interaction like the other campers at night and everything and my freshman year of college for example I had to stay at home and my mom pretty much had a deal it was like this your freshman year you have to stay at home but you get a car second year you can move away but you don't get a car so junior and senior year you don't live at home but you get a car so there was a lot of trust involved and plus my mom didn't think you know I'd be you know a good driver but I kind of proved her wrong about that. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, and you went from a small suburban town to a big city living in Orlando. What did you do to adjust? Well, I've always been a new person in every place we lived in. So, of course, you know, it was just like, you know, kind of go back to old routines. But I moved in June or July of... 2020 when COVID was happening and just, you know, about every business was closed at the time. Like, you know, Universal, Disney, SeaWorld wasn't available. And a lot of the churches or autism centers, they weren't meeting because of COVID. 
And even like, you know, a gym I would go to, they were closed. So the only way you could, like, for example, play basketball would either be fry in 100 degree weather, or if you played for the Orlando Magic or played for UCF, yeah, an air conditioned room. So I feel like just, you know, shooting hoops, like, you know, what I grew up doing, just, you know, was kind of like a balance just to get away from life and just try to meet people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. You have an outlet, pun intended. <laughs> good one. <laughs> what are some stereotypes about autism that you think are a bit outdated? Well, we're not all like, you know, Rain Man, because if I was like Rain Man, I probably would be living in a much nicer place and be a little bit more richer after bankrupting the casinos. We're not all like Sheldon Cooper's from the Big Bang Theory. And not all of us, you know, have social, you know, awkward interactions like Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. And we all don't have like, you know, a fascination of one certain subject. And I wouldn't say it's a disability. It's just a different ability. For example, like if you're going on a trip and everything and there shows a route and everything, I feel like for autism, it's just it's like a shortcut to another route. Hmm. Uh, just how to get to your destination. I like that. What do you wish the world knew about autism? Like if someone could step into your shoes, what would you want them to experience? Just that, you know, we're not any different. We're, we're, we're all the same, pretty much. We all, we all bleed red and we just, you know, equal treatment just like everyone else. And we laugh, we cry, we smile, we frown. We're just like, you know, any other type of human being, but except, except we just, you know, might need a little bit more help in some certain areas. And Scott, you're a voice actor. I am. How did you get into acting? Well, ever since I was about eight or nine, I would go visit my cousins a lot and my aunt would always look after her two kids. It was a boy and a girl and her husband was always away on business. And yet they were always on, you know, each other's nerves and everything brother and sister was. So my aunt would always have to separate them and everything. And it was just like something that was better than cable. So <laughs> on the way home, and everything, they asked me, so did you have a good time with your cousins? And I said, yeah, they sounded like this. And my parents were like, I think too. So they're like, okay, give me more family members. Go, 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 go. So I did grandma, grandpa, other aunts and uncles. And they're like, wow. So the next family reunion, everyone was just surprised. And my parents were like, okay, what about TV characters and movie characters? So I showed them that. And they're like, wow, we're impressed. So my first talent show was when I was 10 years old. And I had no stage etiquette or experience. And it was my turn to come up. So instead of having the stage curtains open, I just walk right through the curtains and <laughs> the crowd is loving it. And yet it was just, you know, probably just something that we just kept on going on. And I was always known as that one guy every single year, even at new schools. And then you decided to study it more in college, got a degree in theater, right? That's right. Okay. Could you give us some samples of the voices you do? Well, I can do a pretty good Elmo if you'd like to hear it. 
Okay. I'm also happy being an autism knows no borders. <laughs> <laughs> that is really spot on. Thank you. Do you have another one? I can do Mickey Mouse, but I just hope that Disney doesn't try to buy, you know, autism knows no borders. If okay. I do it. <laughs> Well, see you on Mickey Mouse, the face of Walt Disney. I got go now since I got to take over the world now. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get your inspiration? I would say when I was a little kid, it was people like Dave Coulier from Full House, who always did voices. He was Joey. And Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, and Robin Williams. I just feel like those four were always just, you know, main inspiration when it came to voices. Cool. And you were recently featured in London's Autism's Got Talent. I was. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was kind of like, you know, Karate Kid Part 2, where Daniel goes to Okinawa with Mr. Miyagi and just to a faraway land. And he just, you know, does karate in a place where... Mr. Miyagi's style of karate was born and everything. And the fact that I was, you know, the only person from USA going, it was just a bit of a culture shock, just like trying to figure out the underground system and just trying to figure out, you know, like what, how foods are different here and there and everything. And of course, when I, when I walked into this theater and everything, I was the only person not from the UK and some of the host people recognized who I was and they said, we can't wait to see, you know, how you do and everything. And some of the contestants, I tried to introduce myself to them, but, you know, it just really wasn't that talkative. But once I was on stage and everything and I did my thing, everyone who participated loved it, plus the 600 people who did it. So it was just like a scene from Karate Kid Part 2 where Daniel broke those blocks of ice. <laughs> yeah. Just afterwards, just tell me how how great of a job I did. It was just like Rocky Four when Rocky beats Drago, and just the Russians were loving him when at first they really weren't fond of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> afterwards, I made some really great friendships that I still keep up with today. For example, a buddy of mine named Samuel Turner, who lives in Wales, wrote a book called The Autistic Side of Love. And it's a really good book, and I would highly recommend it for anyone, especially for those who have autism who want to pursue relationships. Talks about, you know, how he was able to, you know, meet someone during COVID, and now he's engaged in everything. I would say this is definitely should be a New York Times bestseller. And how does your autism help your acting? I would just say when it comes to voices, just, you know just channeling that voice and everything. And like when it came in college and when it came to voices, everyone always asked me, all right, Scotch, try doing this voice and see if you can pull it off. For example, for theater boot camp, which is what I called because before the school year started, we all would meet and everything and we perform for the town and everything. And I was in a play called Red Sugary Sweet Dreams where I was a Kool-Aid guy. So for auditions, we all just had to line up every single male and they wanted to hear our best Kool-Aid impersonation guy. And it was my turn. I just said this, oh, yeah. (laughs) And everyone just loved it. (laughs) So if you have an idea of a voice that you want to do, what's your process of practicing and perfecting it? 
I would just say, think about it in your mind and everything, and what it kind of sounds like, then just play with it a little, having trying to, you know, that voice come out of your mouth and everything and in front of a mirror or something. And if you think it sounds good, try recording it and see what it sounds like. And if it sounds good on a recorder, then you're golden. Mm, nice. So you went to London for Autism's Got Talent, and you also spent some time in England previously on a missions trip. So tell us about the differences you noticed in attitudes towards autism there in England compared to the U.S. I would say in England, they're more of having awareness on it. Like they have more like, you know, television shows and infomercials about it. And everyone says they know someone who has autism and autism at one time in England was ranked number two in the country there. I mean, in the world. For prevalence? I believe so. And plus, too, they just have more of a promotion there. For example, the woman who was able to put Autism Got Talent together, her name is Anna Kennedy. And she is, like, in my opinion, the Simon Cowell of Autism. And she's gotten to meet, you know, the Queen and everything like that. And so she's had, like, you know, lots of grants come in and has met, like, famous celebrities, sports and entertainment to help promote it and everything because they all know someone who has autism. And it's just amazing there because a lot of people there are more accomplished. Like a good friend of mine who interviewed me for his radio station. He's a radio DJ and everything. And I just thought that was just phenomenal. Yeah, it's really great what they're doing with Autism's Got Talent because it's highlighting people's strengths instead of focusing so much on the deficits. Because we all kind of agreed, you know, afterwards, everyone who I competed with in a green room said, if this thing was televised, this, a lot of people would definitely would focus on it and everything. And the best part was anyone could audition because I tried auditioning for Autism Got Talent in California, but they only wanted locals only. So it really didn't feel like much of an audition mm. or a competition. I see. So something else about the difference, you told me before something about the jails. Yes, the jails. I did some research, actually, and there is a town that is about south of England called Nottingham, and they have their own autism task police force, which is designed just for dealing with those who have autism. And they literally have cells for those who have autism. Like, for example, they eliminate the sounds of you know, doors closing and stuff like that. And like the lights inside the cells and everything, they're not so bright and flickering and everything. And all you really have to do is like, if you're in an autism cell is you get the call, you know, like a family member and they have to sign something in the States, you know, it's I'm their responsibility and yada, yada, yada. And they're out of jail. Are you just talking about like a holding cell? Holding cell. Okay. Got it. So before they're sentenced. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's great that they have these kinds of accommodations for autistic people there. I literally cried on the plane back to Orlando because I'm like, I want to stay. I feel like I found a place where I belong. And after my performance, I literally cried because of just how proud I was of myself. Hmm. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. And Scott, this is also your first year in Special Olympics. That's right. What sport do you do? I do two sports, actually. Powerlifting and basketball. 
Okay. And bowling too. I'm sorry. All right. And what have you enjoyed about the experience so far? For bowling, it was just, you know, meeting people and getting out of the house and getting a bowl for about like, you know, $3 for two games, which is really cheap. <laughs> and anything about the competition side of it? For my first year in Special Olympic bowling, I came first place in my area and I came in fifth place in the state of Florida. Congratulations. Thank you. Have you bowled for many years? Just with friends and the Wii. Okay, yeah. <laughs> for powerlifting, it was my first year and everything. And we had our first competition, which was county, which I took first place in by deadlifting 465 pounds as my first max, benching 275 as my max there. And for squats, I was able to do. 250 and I end up winning area for my first ever competitions my first year then our coach entered us in a showcase called the clang and bang classic in tampa bay florida which was a deadlifting competition on the beach with other cities and some people even came from south carolina to compete and it was with 80 people and out of 80 people i had the highest deadlift on beach with 465 and the prize was $750. Wow. So everyone literally kept on asking me, what are you going to do with the money? What are you going to do with the money? And I'm just like, probably gas, seeing how, ga how gas is like $3 here. <laughs> a little bit over. So everyone kept on wanting to look at the money and I just kind of put like a giant duffel bag and everything. And again, it was like that, you know, Karate Kid Part 2 thing, just, you know, breaking that ice and everything and everyone just cheering on the beach and everything. It was just like one of the just, you know, my most proudest accomplishments that even my boss from work had to give me the day off. I mean, not the day off, but had me leave early to go to the bank since the bank closed once I got off work and everything. <laughs> then came state. I came in second place in the state of Florida. The guy who beat me, it was his last year in my division. He was moving up division. And he is one of the guys who I've truly made friends with. His name is Wayne. And he that guy can deadlift 500 pounds. And he's an amazing guy. I always tell everyone when it comes to Special Olympics, it's not about the medals. It's not about the ribbons. It's just, you know, getting out there and just meeting new people and just making friends. One example is when we had to get on the podiums to receive our medals, Wayne is blind and he had a hard time getting up. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to get off my pedestal and just, you know, try to stand right next to him so I don't look like, you know, I'm taller or that I'm better than him. And we just, you know, formed like, you know, a friendship and just equality and respect for each other. Oh, yeah, that's really sweet. I like what you said, that it's not about the medals, but it's more about just putting yourself out there. Because a lot of parents, they really pressure their kids and everything, and they just, you know, turn into trophy parents. And I keep on saying, like, guys, no one's going to go pro in this. We can't get get sponsored based off our likeliness. So let's just, you know, go out there and have fun. Just show what, you know, people with disabilities can do. Is it open to all kinds of disabilities? It is open to all mental disabilities. 
Because when I was a little kid, I really wanted to do Special Olympics, but my parents would tell me, you're not that type of special, Scott. These are for more special people. But I feel like if I would have stayed on, for example, neurotypical teams and played, you know, neurotypical leagues, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today. And my parents had no idea what Special Olympics really was until I introduced it to them. So there is this misconception that it's for people with severe handicaps. I would say so. Okay. Because I was proud as a peacock when they said autism was allowed. Yeah. Well, that's great. Do you compete once a year or is it every few months? It's every few months, every sport, you know, lasts every few months and everything. And if you win a gold medal in the state, you qualify for nationals. And this is my first year and everything. So far, no gold medals, but you know what? That might change someday. But I'm just going out there just to have fun and do my best. That's the right attitude. Do you see a parallel with acting and Special Olympics? <laughs> it's kind of funny you say that because the fact that I'm in Orlando and everything, some people tell me you're like the Troy Bolton of Special Olympics right now. Who is that? High School Musical. Okay, sorry. I'm not familiar. Because his dad was his dad is a coach and everything of the high school basketball team, and yet he wants to do acting and everything. Because my whole entire life, my life has been, literally been like high school musical. But I'm just waiting for that Gabriella to fall in love with. <laughs> I'm trying to write my own autism animated sitcom. Oh. And I have the perfect title. Can you share it? Pain in the Asperger's. <laughs> I like it. So would you do the voices for the characters? I would say probably for the dad and everything. And because I can't play a kid's voice because of puberty and everything. And I probably would want, you know, an autistic woman to play, you know, my TV wife and everything. And just from like things I see, you know, in reality and family experiences, just, you know, try to write that down and saying like, Hey, that's kind of, that'd be great and everything. Mm -hmm. Are there any animated shows about autism now? Not that I know of because my inspiration for this was Simpsons, Bob's Burgers, Family Guy. And of course the only autistic character I know in animation is Tina from Bob's Burgers. A lot of people think she's autistic, which I can kind of see. Okay. So would your show be about a family? It would. Pretty much the dad would try to, you know, be like a voice actor and everything for his regular job. And the mom, she would be a special ed teacher, also cheerleading coach. The daughter would be the neurotypical, just being like, why was I born in this family? I just don't get it. This is crazy at times. <laughs> the son would probably kind of be like me during my, you know, wild child heydays and everything. And just try to be like dad, but not as athletic as dad. And probably the, like the littlest one would probably be like, you know, an inspiration of Louise Belcher from Bob's Burgers. Any pets? Hmm. Well, seeing how I have, I've had 12 dogs in my life, it's kind of hard to choose one, but I'm sure I can think of one along the way. <laughs> well, this sounds like a great sitcom. And just think of just people, you know, I grew up with thinking, you know, that'd be a great character, but. Try to, you know, 
redo their last name and everything and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. All right, Scott, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other autistic aspiring actors? I would say don't give up because acting, it's, you know, in some ways, some people say it's really cutthroat and everything, but, you know, you can just go out there and have fun and be whoever you want to be on stage and get involved in a local special needs theater group. And if there isn't one, you know, just try to find a theater group and explain to your director or acting coach that you have a special need and hopefully, you know, they can accommodate and work with you. Great. So how can people learn more about you? Do you have a YouTube channel where you post some of your videos? I have a YouTube channel. Just type in Scott Edgar Autism. It shows, you know some voice acting reels, a monologue, and my performance in London, and also a benefit I did for the ADA here in Orlando. Great. I'll put a link to your YouTube channel in our show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. I really like Scott's attitude when it comes to competing in the Special Olympics. He cares more about participating and meeting new people than winning medals. Whether it's auditioning for roles or signing up for competitions, Scott is taking bold leaps and putting himself out there. Like Scott, are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Or are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online Global Autism Community to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.